Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Supreme Resort, a podcast about Disneyland and Walt Disney World and which resort is the Supreme Resort. We will argue the merits of every facet of each resort until we decide which is better. Each episode will discuss and compare a ride, show, attraction, hotel, or experience and its counterpart from each coast and decide a winner for each episode. I'm your host. I'm Jimmy. And fresh off his coffee-flavored yogurt... We have Spectro Jeremy. Yeah, also known as the Supreme Arguer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a matter of time before that I got there. So far has been the case. I might be dethroned yeah. in that category tonight, though. So. <laughs> yeah, it's very possible. And we also have Dan. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Today's episode, as always, is brought to you by Get Cove Ears. Now, Jeremy, what is a Cove Ear? They're these wonderful little things. Um Invented by this wonderful big thing named Jason. I think he, I think he invented them. <laughs> or maybe it was Taryn. Um, you you put Probably them Taren. on. You know, you got buy those mouse ears, the Mickey Mouse ears in the park, and they're just black. So if you want to spruce them up, you go to getcovers.com and you uh, you can buy covers for them. They cover your ears, and they have multiple patterns and colors, and they really uh, they make it much more exciting to wear your ears in the park. So you should get some and all the shirts. A lot of really cool shirts you can get there on. Get Coveyers. And we are also brought to you by the Four-Fingered Oven Mitt, bringing your favorite foods from the parks right to your door. This month's recipe is a delicious lobster dinner made entirely out of churros, fudge, and hot dogs, cooked in the patented foil delicious. Mickey that balloon. Really good. Look out for those. That sounds great. Okay, so real quick, I've got to read an email from a fan of the Ears Up Podcast Network, and I'm going to read it for our audience now. Hi. Hi, guys. And Bev. Thank you. <laughs> I need some help from you and your audience. I'm looking at the, to develop or at developing an app that will allow you to see smart wait times at any Disney park worldwide. That's 12, by the way. That's 12 parks. My idea is to create an app that shows the current wait time, but also how sl- uh, also show it in some special ways you can switch between the three. So uh, modes are current wait time. Number two, the app will know your current location and how long it will roughly take to get to each of the other rides or attractions. It will then display the estimated wait time for you when you would arrive for that ride or attraction. Number three, you can select the time of day, and it will show you the expected wait time. So that's like some legit next level. It's like some robot stuff. Yeah, right? So what I would love from your listeners is some help in calculating travel time between rides and lands and parks, as long as they are at the same resort. Okay. So it wouldn't be like I'm sitting in Atlanta, and I want to know how long the ride is for Space Mountain or Discovery Mountain. By the time you get there. Or Hyperspace Mountain, they call it in Paris. Additionally, if anyone would love to give help give travel times or even help develop the app, can email me at, write this down, thomas.coates, that's C-O-A-T-E-S, at live.com.au. Sounds like an Australian there. So there you go. We would love the feedback. So you can give us the feedback. You can go to Ears Up uh, Podcast Network. You can find the Supreme Resort on Twitter, Facebook, all the things, and you can give feedback or you can just email Thomas directly. So I have done my part for the greater good. That's hard. I don't know how to design an app. I barely know how to use an app. Exactly. That's my issue. Yeah, I'm with you. That sounds super useful and also very complicated to like develop. Right. Yeah, yeah so hopefully he figures it out because it sounds like it would benefit all of us. But I, I don't fully understand the concept. So, um, Thomas, you're on your own. I want someone to develop an app for Spectral Radio. Anybody out there want to do that? 
No, but I will say uh, no, I was no, no, I, <laughs> no. Well, never mind then. That's fine. I we'll have to tell on. you though, I was in the car and I uh, I have this new car and I've got these you know listening apps and TuneIn Radio is one of the apps. And when I push TuneIn Radio, it automatically populated with Spectral Radio. Well, that's I didn't even search for it. Wow, that's interesting. That is weird. That's like when Instagram's listening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it must have something to do with it's connected to my phone or whatever. But I lo- I got to listen to Spectral Radio in the car. That's great. It was really nice. It was very, very nice. Cool. Okay, time for the show. Yes. Today's episode: The Case of the Enhanced Motion Vehicles, Indy v. Dinosaur. The show's format is as follows. We will begin with the prosecution, the thing that came first, followed by the defense, the thing that followed. It will begin as an opening statement. Then we will explore the queue, the ride experience, and the exit experience, perhaps, followed by the impact of the land. How does it fit in the land? Does it fit in the land, etc.? And then we'll have some closing marks and final rewards. It's a, it's a work in progress. We're getting there. Okay. Are we ready with the sounds, Jeremy? Yeah, so let's hear when uh, when um, expedition. No, sorry, not expedition Everest. <laughs> when dinosaur <laughs> staying alive. <laughs> when dinosaur gets a point, you will hear the famous Claire Huxtable. Oh no, you'll hear the person who meets Claire Huxtable. <laughs> may the force be with you. Oh, I didn't get it. so and uh, you'll hear um, may the force be with you when Indy gets a point. And you'll probably hear when May the Force Be With You when a dinosaur gets a point. Because I haven't figured out how to make them not play together. <laughs> Everybody wins in this show. You'll hear something. <laughs> you'll hear something and you'll know what it, what it is because we'll say what it is. Yeah, and just I, enjoy listening to them both over and over. I mean, I could listen to Dr. Mesh <laughs> all day. And, and you also did admit that developing an app would be a challenge. But remind me again what you <laughs> do for We didn't have apps when I graduated from college, okay? <laughs> <laughs> there, there was the internet. Okay, so I'm going to go first. You go first. Is that all right? I'm, I'm judge. Go. Indiana Jones <laughs> Adventure and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. So first I want to talk about the company, right? Disneyland and the Disney Walt Disney Company. After Walt passed in 1966, the company struggled through a couple of decades of, you know, Walt ran the show and he was the creative leader. So they they relied a lot on the theme parks, which are largely the majority of the company's revenues. So after surviving a couple takeovers like Green Mail takeovers, et cetera, one of the company's largest shareholders, Sid Bass, um, and the board, driven largely by Roy E. Disney, who is the son of co-founder Roy O. Disney, by the way, read Disney War because a lot of this information comes from there. some really good stories, but it does not talk about the giveaways of the 30th anniversary in 1985 for the ref- for the record. <laughs> okay, this- I was wrong. I get it. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Callbacks to other shows. <laughs> they brought in Michael Eisner as CEO and chairman of the board, who was the president at the time. He was the president of Paramount Pictures. He brought him in in 19- excuse me, September of 84. So he was brought in with hopes of turning the company around after nearly two decades of poor performance after Walt's death. So George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are in Hawaii because Spielberg makes Jaws. It's over budget. Everybody's mad at him. So he goes to Hawaii. He's building sandcastles, and he's got people from the front desk coming at him and saying, hey, it made this much. It made this much. So when Star Wars, which is over budget and late and everything else, is coming out, he's like, George, let's go to Hawaii. So they're making sandcastles, and it's... Hey, I made this much, et cetera. So while they're together, they come up with this thing. They've always wanted to make uh, a James Bond movie, right? Lucas always wanted to do a James Bond movie. And so, but the Bracolis own it and they're not going to give it up. So they came up with their own James Bond type movie, which is Indiana Jones. And they went around everywhere and pitched it. They pitched it to Disney. They pitched it everywhere. And it was Michael Eisner at Paramount that ultimately bought the pitch. So Can they I had just, a pre-existing relationship. Let's stop you for one second. I want to give a point for... George Lucas and Steven Spielberg going on vacation together. That's how we're doing this. Do it. Do it, Point Monkey. He's not doing it. All right. Um, oh, I'm Point Monkey? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just telling him write it down. I, I, okay, I guess that I wasn't sure, point. to be fair. Uh, <laughs> may the force be with you. <laughs> there, I just played it. I played it. I'm, we're trying something new this time. Yeah, we are. Okay. Indiana Jones Adventure in the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. Inspired by one of the most influential film franchises in history, this is one of the most exciting, heart-racing, technologically advanced rides ever made, 
with nonstop action from start to finish, along with the first-of-its-kind ride vehicle and amazing visual effects. The attraction is considered by many to be the pinnacle of Disney Imagineering. Even though it has been in operation for over 20 years, Indiana Jones remains one of the most popular attractions in both California parks and one of the most influential. That's my opening statement. (laughs) (laughs) So we're challenging Dinosaur. Dinosaur, which was originally titled Countdown to Extinction, opened with Disney's Animal Kingdom Park in the spring of 1998. The ride's name was changed shortly thereafter to Dinosaur to help promote the Disney animated feature of the same name that would release uh, a year and a half later. And it is basically the entire Indiana Jones ride and ride system rethemed to a dinosaur attraction. So all of the amazing technology that he gets points for, I have to get them too. Because it's literally the same thing. That is my opening statement. <laughs> Identical attractions. So I get to play Dr. Marsh? So I'll give you a, uh, I'll give Dino a point for... That's not a bad idea. If you're going to build one thing, may as well try a rescan of the same thing somewhere else. I've heard both of you go on and on about show and the significance of the innovation and not just slapping something else on something anyway whatever interesting how the standards change uh i never said anything about Ah. slapping anything and i don't think it's slapped so i think if we can't the the idea the 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 idea was that it was going to be you know a really cool new different thing we're not there yet in terms of whether or not it is that i think it was just we have a really great a really great ride technology and we're going to use it over here to tell a different story. It's like – that would be like saying you can't use a trackless ride in any other attraction anymore because <laughs> well, once we've used it. No, it's a really great way to tell story. So they're going to continue to use trackless technology. Except this has a track. OK. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Dr. Marsh. <laughs> Dr. Marsh. May the force be with you. Oh, all right. <laughs> force be with you keeps playing. OK. All right. So I'm going to take you on a tour of the queue of Indiana Jones Adventure. And the Temple of Forbidden Eye. It is set in 1935. Indy's good friend Sala found a treasure map that showed the way to the idol Mara. Set in the lost delta of India, Mara promised that those who visited the temple pure of heart would receive one of three gifts. Eternal youth, dazzling wealth, or the ability to see into the future. Another friend, archaeologist Marcus Brody, funded an expedition. And one month later, Indy found out the trick. The eyes of the idol. That's the trap. Don't look into the eyes of Mara. Once the word got out of the discovery, tourists flocked from everywhere. Indy tried to warn them, but many did not take his advice. In fact, he said, records indicate that many have come, but few have returned. As any fan of the film series knows, Indy is not a fan of crowds and prefers to work alone. So, Sala put together transports to keep the tourists busy while Indy continued with his work. If the guests did not look into the eyes of Mara, all was well. Inevitably, somebody always looked. Like the Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion, designers had to place huge show building outside of the berm in the Eeyore section of the Disneyland parking lot. At three stories and as long and wide as a football field, it was so large that the designers had to move some of the monorail pylons. The eighth of a mile queue became an attraction in and of itself. So... Here's how we got started. We got started at an archaeological base camp and staging area in the temple courtyard. The troop transport out front with the Lost City Expeditions logo was, in fact, fun fact, the famous truck under which Indiana crawls from Raiders of the Lost Ark. The placement of the vehicle was so to suggest that this was the type of vehicle that guests would be riding on. So you kind of get a preview, right? And the generator in the queue ran the lights in the queue with the result that the lights would flicker in time with the generator. In the background was a vintage radio broadcast with frequent reports of guests having gone missing after a visit to the temple. Imagineers left a little treat for sharp-eyed guests. There is a figure of Walt Disney hidden in the artifacts. A ramp that appeared to be set up to move artifacts out of the temple serves two functions. It avoided the stairs in front of the temple, and it made wheelchair access easier. In time, of course, wheelchair access would be through the exit tunnel. It is no coincidence that there are snakes carved in the newel posts on the stairs leading up to the temple. Just past the entrance, guests would see a large mural of the deity Mara with subtle hints of what needs to be done in order to receive a reward. However, the obelisk in the next room was not so kind. 
It suggested the types of punishment for those not worthy. Ways to perish included snakes, rats, fire, and spikes. The queue became a walkthrough of labyrinthian rooms and narrow passages. The tunnel was designed to force people to walk in pairs, which made the line appear to be moving faster. This concept of forcing people into tight spaces and then into a large entrance room had been a long-time Disney tradition as seen in the attic section of the Haunted Mansion, where it's a tight cord and then you go out to the big outside, kind of a big... Um, and then also the tunnel before the Wicked Wench and the Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, in the, in the bottom, and dead men tell no tales, and you come to the big expanse. So this is actually intended on purpose for the impact of the next room. So throughout the queue are warnings written in maraglyphics. When the ride first opened, mm-hmm. they would hand out little cards, that were decoder cards, so you could translate the various warnings and suggestions while you waited in the queue. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I remember Did you memorizing get- that alphabet system right yeah they don't do it anymore uh so those who did that learned that only one spring can restore youth and vigor choose wisely there was also not so subtle reminder in maraglyphics that the attraction was sponsored by (laughs) at&t wait so you talked about the drinking fountain thing i did not oh okay so i remember that that the choose wisely one was above the two drinking fountains Ah, in the queue Yeah, it, 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 which implied that one of the drinking fountains would like kill you or something. <laughs> Anytime implied death is involved, I I like it. Point. Okay. Continuing down the path, guests encountered the Bamboo Canyon, which is interesting. It's actually large doors used to move the Jungle Cruise elephants back for maintenance. So it ties in the Jungle Cruise, and they hit it with bamboo. This spike room was inspired by a scene in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom and had an inscription on the, the round stone door at the gateway. It says, the gates of doom are ever open. There was an interactive element where the falling ceiling was held up by one bamboo pole. If the guests in the know ignored the do not touch sign, the animated ceiling would fall a couple of inches. Do you remember this? I remember it well. Did it ever work for you? Did it fall? I was there opening day, so I it, it all that stuff worked. There, the ice machine still worked in the ride that we'll get to. So none of this stuff. These car, they don't hand out the cards anymore. No. The ceiling doesn't work anymore. I don't know about the ceiling pole. I know that you can pull the pole and the the bamboo and noises and stuff happen. I don't know about the dropping ceiling. Okay. I think it sometimes works, but it's like it's not. It it more doesn't work than does. Okay, so the next room is the block room in the. Block room door was originally meant to have the same kind of interaction. It, if it had been fully developed, guests would have been warned to avoid stepping on diamond tiles on the floor. And then the rotunda, also known as the calendar room. This was a large space uh, with pictographs representing natives offering gifts to Mara while wisely covering their eyes. The mantra was plow the field, plant the seed, reap the harvest, tribute to Mara. So another interactive. I'm curious about the. I'm curious about the cube. What, what was the cube room? Is that right? The block room was inspired the block by room, Raiders. Right. Was in, yeah. Do you have anything on like what that effect would have been? Because I've always been curious about that. Or did they get that well, far at all? Well, I think that all? if you step on the wrong block, it breaks. Or something happens. Some kind okay. of event. Like in, right. uh, in tem- uh, the last one, Last Crusade, if you step on the wrong letter, then mm-hmm. you collapse to your doom. All right. So, all right. Then... Um, inside this area, there's a there's an archaeologist. That's another interactive area. So it's there's a sign that says "Do not pull the rope," handling delicate artifacts. And of course, given human nature, there was always a guest who would pull the rope, and the consequences were quite humorous. <laughs> with an annoyed and unlucky excavator in the film room, guests watched the safety film. It was cleverly disguised as a 1935 era Eye on the Globe newsreel, a vintage 16 millimeter film projector, a slide projector, and an old ER. Eeyore parking lot sign uh, were set above the audience on scaffolding. The next room was Dr. Jones's office, and it was built out of crates labeled with the addresses of his friends, including one for Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. The bulletin board was rich in details, including a themed map of the entire attraction and its many variations. By the time the guests reached the loading dock, they have been fully immersed in the world of Indiana Jones and the Lost Delta. Boom. <laughs> Okay, okay. 
Jeremy, any thoughts on any of that? Uh, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of shoulda, woulda, coulda going on. I mean, we would have had these cards. <laughs> we would have had. We used to. The, something worked over the fountain. The floors used to break. The ceiling used to fall. I wish I would have experienced this when it worked. It was really amazing. Those are my. Th- those are my thoughts. Okay. Okay. Tell us about uh, dinosaur. The queue. Dinosaur sits in the Dinoland section of the park. In keeping with the theme of the land, guests enter the Dino Institute, which was created under the auspices of uh, uncovering the mysteries of the past. Upon entering, they pass along exhibits that include displays of small fossils, modern animals that can be traced back to the age of the dinosaurs, and evidence for various theories of dinosaur mass extinction. Guests then pass into an interior room dominated by a large replica of a fossilized dinosaur skeleton of a Carnotaurus. One of the featured dinosaurs we experience later in the attraction. The walls are adorned with a depiction of sedimentary rock layers containing fossils from various prehistoric eras. At regular intervals, the lights dim in the room, and the voice of Bill Nye, the science guy, shares interesting facts and theories about the age of the dinosaurs using light that showcases various parts of the room. So, so it sounds like you could, if you wanted to, you could actually learn something from this. You could learn something. There's some, yeah. You see the, you see the. Um, there's like a line in. This is where I, I'm not a scientist, but there is. Uh, if you dig in sedimentary rock, you see like a gray line, which right. is where the impact of the asteroid happened in history, and they sort of illustrate that. And then they have uh, fossils embedded in the wall above and below that in their in their respective periods. So whether it's right. Jurassic so, or Cretaceous, et cetera. Yeah, you're. You're not a scientist. You're an IT major who doesn't know how to run an audio file. <laughs> so, point for learning. Ooh, Dr. Mush. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. Point for learning. So, that's, I mean, that's really uh, the cue. Well, well, this next part's the cue also. Um, next, guests enter the pre show theater. Here, guests view a presentation given by the director of the Dino Institute, Dr. Marsh, <laughs> played. By America's mom, <laughs> Felicia Rashad. Uh, and she. That's a point. Oh, yes. Dr. Marsh again. May the force be with you. Oh, that's the force. <laughs> I played the wrong audio. <laughs> <laughs> Proving Jimmy right once again. Well, I think it's really. It's fate. <laughs> Dr. Marsh, give, Dr. Marsh gives information about the work that the Dino Institute does and their latest invention. The Time Rover, Mm. a time travel machine that has the ability to take guests back to the age of the dinosaurs. So we can see that the future truly lies in the past. Marsh is interrupted by Dr. Grant Seeker, portrayed by actor Wallace Langham of Veronica's Closet fame. Uh, Dr. Seeker wants wants the tour to go back and save an iguanodon from extinction and bring it back to the Dino Institute. That is the cue in the pre-show. Lectures. (laughs) And it, it's star-studded cast. Three celebrities. Well, it has Claire Huxtable. Bill Nye is quite a – Bill Nye is a celebrity. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Bill Nye. Bill Nye. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Bill Nye is cool. The other guy, I, I just – I feel like it sh- he should have been – every time I see that video, I feel like he should be – What's who's that brother from uh, the show you love, Jimmy? Um, Arrested Development. Arrested Development, yeah. Who's the actor? The- uh, like uh, uh, the – Tony Hale? Yeah. Yeah. I, feel, about, I like yeah. I'm I, I see that and I'm just like, hey, okay, brother. that's not Tony Hale. <laughs> but I do like the I like attractions that <laughs> like is a weird word to use here. There's a special place in my heart for attractions that have those weird instructional mm-hmm. videos at the beginning, like like uh, E. T. Adventure. <laughs> it's like, well, hello, E. T. <laughs> I'm not saying it deserves a point. I'm just saying those uh, those cues are hilarious. And isn't it weird that his name is E.T. and that means extraterrestrial and his family on his home planet call him E.T.? So he's an alien <laughs> even there. Right. <laughs> yeah, hey, T. Right. It should just be oh, T. What's up, T? So that's the cue. You didn't talk about <laughs> pipes with ketchup, mayonnaise, and mustard, or did we already cover that? Yeah, I just didn't think that that was that gr- interesting, but I do. <laughs> I know you really want to cover that. Oh my! God. That's the reason <laughs> I'm know. doing this podcast is because in the queue of this ride. And by the way, <laughs> deduct a point for him. Not uh, in the in the queue of the ride, there are pipes running a- overhead that are 
red, white, and yellow, and the chemical makeup of ketchup, mustard, and mayonnaise are printed on the pipes because the original ride. And why is that? Sponsored by yeah. McDonald's. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Yeah. I'm loving it. <laughs> so that's your cue. <laughs> the second time I've made that joke. All right. What do you think, Dan? Have you avoided, all right. awarded all of the Claire points you were going to award? Because she doesn't come back. Uh, she does. Does she? She no. doesn't come back. I, I think the, the only time I read rode this ride was at your wedding. So while I was getting married, probably probably says something <laughs> how I feel about this ride. But um, uh, it's very Jurassic Park esque. I know that the queue is very like. Mm. I don't want to. I don't want to get to a point where I'm taking away points. Uh, you could both just ask for points for things. That's kind of how I'm doing this. I think uh, Indy should get a point for me bringing up the ketchup. Okay, I already got that. You're all right, everybody. So uh, going back, so now the ride experience, the actual ride itself, and everything I'm going to tell you is the same exact thing Jeremy's going to tell you, except there are dinosaurs instead of. Uh, all the cool stuff. <laughs> so it's all about new technology, right? So Star Tours changed everything in the mid-'80s. This all goes back to that Lucas relationship with Eisner. So there was nothing else like it. So Indiana Jones was a response to the changing habits of a new generation of children. So they're born into a world of video games. They're used to more nonlinear stories delivered in rapid fashion with a certain level of control. They're used to electronics and less impressed with mechanical effects. So their preference was for entertainment that was unpredictable, non-repetitive, and energetic. So Tony Baxter says, what I like about Indiana Jones Ride is that it takes the technology of Star Wars and then throws it back in time in a way it's not just a gimmick. It's not an adventure about characters you're watching and you're not one controlled by a pilot or someone else. It's not. It's determined by you going through it and participating in it. He said of the Pirates of the Caribbean, everything happens in that ride whether you're there or not as if you were eavesdropping or on something already underway. So for Indiana Jones, had you made the right choices from the beginning, you would have gone on to your reward. But because you didn't, you're caught in a mess and you're trying to find your way out. All the explosions and catastrophes mm. happen because of you being in there. What? You know Mara isn't real, right? Uh, sorry? <laughs> <laughs> so I get what you're saying, but it's kind of... No, it's not what I'm saying. It's what Tony it's, Baxter, who designed okay, the ride, is saying. I get what, what Tony Baxter is inhabiting your body to say this. I know what he is saying through you, but it seems kind of like a gussied up version of the same old, like, something goes terribly wrong, which is like 70 or more percent of rides anyway. So what, are the, what is the guest doing that controls this ride? There's, there's options to it's, change it, things? If you don't look into the eye of Mara, you go on and everything's fine. But because somebody inevitably always looks, then you get thrown into the gates of doom and all this chaos you're trying to get out of. So you, right. in a way, affect the ride. In, mm. in theory, that's true. I mean, that, that's, that's the story, of course. But, I mean, I'm going to give a point for that because it's, it, it it's a twist – it is a slight twist on the same old, you know, something goes horribly wrong scenario. I think I'm having a hard time understanding. So if I sent a so if, if I sent an empty car through that ride, you're telling me none of the things would happen. Listen, it's a story. <laughs> this is the, it's all about the story is the point. And in the story, if you did not look in the eyes of Mara, you would go on. But because you did that thing, like think about Star Tours. You're going on that no matter what. You didn't do anything. It's a passive experience where a robot is going through a program, whereas this, in the story, you have control of whether or not it goes crazy is the point. <laughs> so if everyone in the car keeps their eyes covered, is it going to happen? Yeah, but – I mean, just you know what? <laughs> it, it's, no, it's the same story. They're literally just telling you. It's like it's not like it changed. I think that's bogus. I think it's weak. Well, listen. Listen, if I'm not in the queue for Dinosaur, is Claire Huxtable still going to be talking? <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I'm not, claiming, falls in the forest. I'm not claiming that that is a, a big uh, plus for – I'm not saying that, oh, now we're in control when you're, at, you're ultimately not in control. The ride does the same thing every time. It's not like Horizons where you voted and, it, and you would get a different thing. 
I don't know. I think it's R. weak. R. If you want to, if you know what, if you want the point, if you want an asterisk next to your win, you should take that point. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Disneyland needs to win, people. No, I, I look. I think that 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 what he's saying is certainly very good publicity, but like. Come on, Tony Baxter. Like, it's, it's, we all know that there isn't a second track and there isn't like some, you know, teenager sitting there like, did everybody look? Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Right. I don't think that that's what he's saying. It's not saying that it would change if nobody was on the ride. It's, he's saying that right. unlike all the other rides that are passive, you have in the story an active participation. That's all I'm saying. Right. Like, just, ba- just ba- barely. All right, like, so it was, his, it was his freaking idea. You want to call him? Take the point. Take the point. <laughs> I've already taken it. Tony Baxter, call in if you're listening. So he came up with the idea in the story. The, the critical thing was the technology of the, of the ride transport. So the solution was the creation of something called the Enhanced Motion System, or EMS. So basically the vehicle was a motion simulator, similar to Star Tours, but on a moving platform, right? They wanted to create a vehicle that would feel like a four-wheel truck and was capable of going anywhere. The system took two years to develop and build, and it would take it would become the highest capacity thrill ride in the park. So they developed it in a f- facility in Valencia, California. I like this story. It was near Magic Mountain. So they built about half of the ride, and then they, they could control all the movement and lighting effects in real time. So they brought Michael Eisner up there. He loved it, and he said that you could go to the parking lot of Magic Mountain and pass out flyers, and guests would come down for the ride of their lives. <laughs> They also invited George Lucas up for a ride. So according to Tony Baxter, which evidently has no credibility, according to you people, he, he showed up. Not he when he shows up with all of that hogwash. <laughs> He's a storyteller. How many times on this show have you Excuse said it's me. about the story? Anyway. So, so he comes up with two chocolate donuts and a cup of orange juice. And, and Tony Baxter's like, uh-oh. And so he got, get off the ride. He had beads of sweat on his forehead, and he says it was fine. He didn't want to go again. So Tony says, I figured it passed test if we scared the bejesus out of George. <laughs> All right. The 15, 15 vehicles. I just, like picturing, I just like picturing George Lucas. Oh, no, that's well, it's okay. <laughs> it's like, like donut crumbs in his beard and stuff. <laughs> so – all of the 15 vehicles weighed 12,800 pounds each, and they could carry 12 guests. Each vehicle is operated by a dedicated programmable logic control, or PLC, and that was linked to a computer in, in a control room. So the PLC actually ran the ride system, kept it safe, told the vehicles when they had to go, when they had to stop and wait. The transports were connected to a 2,500 linear foot bus bar that provided AC power and communication um, to the master control system. The result was that each vehicle could be programmed independently and differently with up to 160,000 possible combinations. So guests endured or enjoyed, depending on their point of view, a random experience while moving through a physical space. To achieve this level of sophistication, each ride vehicle had more computing power than the entire control system of Space Mountain. So one of those vehicles has more, more controlling power than the entire Space Mountain. Each of the vehicles also have three separate soundtracks on board. One was music, one was effects, and one was motor sounds. And they're all programmable and variable. And they used John Williams' score. They, they remastered it and rearranged it, and they recorded it by a 90-piece orchestra. That's crazy. So the sound quality is incredible. All right. So the ride starts, yeah. right? The ride starts in the Chamber of Destiny. If guests cleared their mind... I'm sorry. I'm going to tell some story again. I, I know you guys have a hard time with that, but I'm going to go for it. <laughs> if the guests cleared their minds and allowed Mara to peer into their souls, they could determine which door to open. Sala had set up antique mirrors so guests could see ahead of them, and typically their vehicle would go through a different door than the vehicle ahead of them. The illusion was created by having one entry point and five doors that could swing from side to side in about 18 seconds. So I didn't ever understand this. I thought it actually went through three different things, but it's one entry point. Mm-hmm. And the the design objective was to create a slightly different experience each time the guest would ride the attraction. So if you create sets with interchangeable components, that's how mm-hmm. it was possible. So you go through one door every time, but the, the five doors would kind of slide back and forth. And then the inside of that chamber, those elements would change. So if the, if the prize was the treasure of Mara, then the walls would be lined with glittering gold. If the prize was timeless youth and beauty, 
Then blue-tinted walls would be covered with murals of old pilgrims turning young again. Finally, if the prize was Mara lifting the curtain of time and future knowledge, then the guests would be engulfed in, by a sky filled with 5,000 fiber-optic stars. The room was one of the rare times where you could actually see the track, right? You take a, a sharp turn to the left, and the guests entered the Tunnel of Torment. The transport was programmed to feel like they were floating towards the Gates of Doom because somebody looked into the eyes of Mara. And in front of the gates, guests encounter Indiana Jones for the first time. He's trying to hold the door closed while a mysterious vortex swirls behind him. The spell would broken. The transport then fell to the ground. Unfortunately, Harrison Ford's voice could not be used in the attraction due to costs and creative control, and he was negotiating for a fourth film in the franchise. That's Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Wait, he wanted to be in that? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, he wanted to be in that movie, but he didn't want to voice the ride. There was creative control issues. So wait a minute. Harrison Ford wanted to be in that movie. He was negotiating a contract, so whether he wanted to or not, he got paid to do it. That's amazing. I don't think he wanted to voice the ride. (laughs) Anyway, so then, after the Gates of Doom part, then you come into the Cavern of Bubbling Death, which is a fantastic title. That deserves a point all <laughs> no, by itself. No, it, no, 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 no. That does not get a point. No. I will give a point. The Cavern the, of the, Bubbling no, Death? No, 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 no. I will give a point to the Chamber of Changing Walls and Lights because that's really cool. But yes. The, no, bubbling monkey. Death? No, 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 no. I, we've, yeah, no. Let's see, see Time Castle. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, fine. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So uh, are you keeping track of these points? Because I don't think that... I, I am this time. Okay, good. <laughs> so this is really cool. You're going to give a point for this. because So you come into the passage, and the guests look into this inner chamber. This is massive chamber. If you've been on the ride, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The outlook was described as Christmas morning view because of all the action going on below. That's kind of a cool image. That's not what you're going to give me the point for. So the cavern is 100 feet wide by 140 feet and 50 feet tall, and there is a 45-foot skull of Mara. So the inspiration for this, um, the ride winding in and out of this huge room was the glory hole at Knott's Berry Farms Calico Mine Train. <laughs> That's where they got the inspiration. Hmm. Not touching it. Not touching it. Um, <laughs> not touching the glory hole or not touching the inspiration of the ride? Uh, so I agree that the vista is amazing, but they, why did they call it Christmas morning? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, it's not called that in the story. It's that's what they call the Christmas morning view. Right. You're... No, go ahead. <laughs> because so who calls it Christmas morning? The you? Imagineers called it the Christmas morning view because of all the action below. Like you know, Christmas morning, all this stuff is out. And it's like, whoa, that's amazing. Why? Why are they called Imagineers? What's the first part of the word Imagineer? What is it? I'm imagination, right? I'm just saying, like it's it's a cool, it's a cool effect. It's nice, but look, it's it's a cool effect. It's a night, but Christmas morning view. That's like, how about staring into a nightmare <laughs> or vortex of you know, utter I chaos? You, you were <laughs> all right. We're moving on. Okay. But I thought the Calico Mine Train thing was cool. So the first side room is the Mummy Chamber, and this was inspired by a scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark where Marion and Indy break through a wall in the Well of Souls and find themselves covered with mummies, inspired by the films. A fan produced 60-mile-an-hour winds to enhance the sensation of speed. And maintenance did not clean the room, and they were allowed to have cobwebs accumulate. That was on purpose. One, of, uh, one mummy is actually wearing a pair of Mickey Mouse ears. He's right there with the statue of Walt Disney mm, in the archives. I have yet to see that. I, I believe that it's there. No. Oh, really? Hmm. Um, oh. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what it says. That's, that's what the man said. While uh, driving through the insect room, guests could hear the shells of insects popping underneath them. Back in the cavern, transports must cross the rope bridge. And each vehicle reacted differently as they crossed. So some would stall, some would go over quickly, others would... Uh, like tip over to look over the edge or shudder as though the rear wheel had fallen off. On the other side was the snake room. Now, there were 2,129 sculpted, carved, painted, or living representations of snakes. There was uh, one that was 50 feet long, and 
Imagineers chose this scale because uh, it kind of emulated a close-up like in a movie because those trucks are so big, right? And snakes aren't actually 50 feet tall. Mm. So this is unique to the Indiana Jones vehicles. Um, it, they kind of become the storytellers of the show. So, for example, as the transports approach the big snake, it would actually seem to recoil from the attack. Then we escape right. from the snakes and we go he- head straight through the Mara skull, straight to the Mara skull, where there are more than 2,000 replicated human skulls. 2,000. And then we go down to the lower level cavern and there's the rat room with the vermin projected on a mist screen from time to time. Mm. The sound of the little rat feet could be heard through <laughs> the transport. At some point, the money runs out. That's, that's, that's really all we got to say about that. Right. <laughs> and then you come to the dart room, which was inspired by the opening scene from Raiders. And compar- compressed air jets were blasting from both sides to make it feel like uh, darts are coming at you. So then the climax was the rolling ball scene. Now here, Indiana Jones hanging from a rope, calling to help him, you know, help him down. And unexpectedly, a 16-foot boulder started to roll toward the guests. The transport reacted by suddenly backing up. Now, again, this is, this is something that I learned. Um, the illusion is actually inspired by a drive through car wash. So Tony Baxter's in a car wash, and he's sitting still, and he noticed that although he was sitting still, the machinery around him created the illusion that he was going backward. So he took the idea, brought it to the ride. In this segment, only the walls in the room are actually moving. Everything else is stationary. Then the transport. That is a really cool Isn't that effect. That's cool. Yeah, it's neat. That's a really cool effect. Um, and I'm going to say that I'm going to, because I know there's nothing like that at, at Dinosaur. Am I correct, J- Jeremy? Like the finale is not a backing up, like a simulation of backing up. No, you don't back up. Okay. So I'm going to do a point for Andy on that. And I'm telling you this before I point out that if Tony Baxter hadn't have been in that car wash, it wouldn't have happened. The story wouldn't have happened. Everything happens for a reason, Dan. <laughs> if my parents mm-hmm. had not fallen mm-hmm. in love and had me, I would never have met you. That's true. And you introduced me to the Ears Up podcast, which introduced me to Jeremy. I mean, I'm just saying everything happens for a reason. That's, that's all I'm saying. And then the transport uh, rushed, towards, uh, rushed forward. The guests see the giant ball smashed, and we see Indy waving goodbye. <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> I like the adjustment you made there. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for your help. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Goodbye, Tony. Goodbye. <laughs> Back to ET. All right, Jeremy. What do you or, got? Uh, Dan, do you have any comments? Um. You know, I, I realize I, that I might be coming off as kind of negative on this ride. And I love I love this ride. It's fantastic. Um, the, rat, <laughs> the rat room, something needs to get done there. And I, I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. Um, but yeah, it's solid. And I wish, I wish they'd bring that ice machine effect back. It used to be that when you came down into that big Christmas morning scene um, – <laughs> There would be uh, they actually <laughs> Jimmy flipped me off. Um, they had <laughs> they had an ice machine in in the top of the in the roof or yeah in the roof, and it would drop like a bunch of ice down into the the bu- bubbling rock of fire or whatever, and it actually looked like part of the cave or whatever it's supposed to be was falling apart, and that was a great effect. I mean, it not being there doesn't wow. ruin anything, but it was so cool. I researched the heck out of this, and I had not. I don't remember it. I don't remember seeing, it, and I didn't read about it. Well, if you didn't see it, if you never YouTube. experienced it, then like you wouldn't know to look up Indiana Jones uh, Temple Forbidden Eye Ice Machine. I'm going but, to now. All right. All right, <laughs> Jeremy. So everything I just said and. All of that and add dinosaurs. I mean, it's so great. You know what would make this ride better? Dinosaurs chasing you. <laughs> Guests enter an underground research facility where they board their time rovers. The rovers are sent back in time to the late Cretaceous period where the, where the guests can even smell the jungle and the trees around them. Point for that. 40 give it to me baby i gotta i gotta say i gotta say i i 
the way the the time travel actually happens in the ride, like the actual effect of okay, now you're somewhere else, is surprisingly effective. I I didn't expect it to. I expected it to just be like okay, now you're you're rolling to another time, but it actually feels like there's a time jump, Jimmy. You look like you're going to say something. It doesn't matter. Once again, the flashing flashing lights. <laughs> this is but the best use fa- of flashing is, lights. No, it, it's an effect. Of, what I'm saying is that, like, it's it. I feel like it must have been a very, very difficult sensation to pull off, and it's it's effective for what it is. So I want to give it a point for that. Okay. Do you want to do? Do you want to do a point there? Yeah. And. um well so it's not just that they use um flashing lights but and this is something that i get to i was going to get to this a little bit later but since you bring it up um the use of audio is um their special directional speakers located on board the the ride vehicle and also throughout the ride path and they use this directional audio to create the sensation of the dinosaurs being breathing right over your shoulder. So as you're whipping through there in the darkness, um, dodging trees, you can almost hear them breathing down your neck. Then their, their roar is really loud, but they use the, um, they use audio during the transition scene, going back in time um, to recreate like the sound of electric shocks happening. And it's really, it's actually Mm -hmm. quite loud. Um, uh, so it's it's all about that audio. The uh, the combination of the audio and the lights um, are what create that sensation. So successfully, as you very nicely pointed out, Dan, I'll take a point for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you already gave me one? <laughs> so what about the smell? Explain that to me. You can smell what? The dinosaurs. Well, you know, have you ever ridden on like a ride called Soren or Mickey's Philharmagic right. where they give you sa- smells? Like when you're in mm-hmm. Soren, you smell the grass over the African savanna. Right. You smell... There's smells in in uh, dinosaurs, so you smell like forest and jungle. Got it. Forty, baby, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's neat. Um, I'm going to give it a point for that because I I know that it doesn't have a Christmas warning view. So let's go ahead and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Our listeners are going to revolt if Indiana Jones doesn't win this. Just throwing it out. Don't, don't, don't uh, they can smell the jungle and trees, and they encounter their first dinosaurs, a Styracosaurus, an Alliuramus, mm-hmm. a Parasaurolophus, and a Velociraptor. Guests also quickly notice that they're in a meteor shower, presumably because this is the one that caused the great dinosaur extinction. A countdown clock can even be heard counting down to the impact of the asteroid, creating a heightened sense of urgency as the time rover swerves through trees and over rough terrain, all while dodging animatronic dinosaurs. The rover even stops at some dinosaurs for a closer encounter, in one case being sneezed on by a large sauropod, and again, we can smell what he's been eating. The rover continues to speed through near complete darkness while the sounds of dinosaurs sound frightening and eerily close, as I said, thanks to special directional audio technology um, in the vehicle and along the right track. As the asteroid impact speeds closer, the time rover locks onto the iguanodon and runs into the Carnosaurus one more time before the time rover returns to the present day, bringing the iguanodon along with it. And this, the scene where you are going where you finally see the um, the Carnotaurus for the last time is the is the spot in the indie where you see the big rolling ball and then you dive below it and that's where you go back into the future. Um, an interesting thing about this is that they did have to design audio animatronics for this ride. There are 11 audio animatronics in this ride as opposed to Indy's four. Um, and they are also the largest audio animatronic figures that Disney had ever created to date. Um, so I think I get a point for that. More audio animatronics. It's called Dinosaur, though. If you didn't have more dinosaurs and more animatronics, it would just be ride. Yeah, it feels like there should be 20. It's a point. I think it's a point. This, radio How science. many times? Is it, what? So, so what, what, we, don't, we don't get to see any animatronics in yours? <laughs> <laughs> what is the smell? What did the dinosaur eat? I don't know grass. It was a. It's a. It wasn't a. It wasn't a carnivore. It's a sauropod. Ah. So, but th- a lot of this is happening in the darkness, and that's that's a lot of where I have trouble with dinosaur. To be honest, is that 
Indiana Jones, it's it's all except for the rat room. Um it's all very heavily themed. Everything's built. And I, I get it's supposed to be happening at night in Dinosaur, but not a lot of like actual building of stuff. It's just it feels like it's just in like a soundstage with trees and animatronics, which is cool. Right. It feels like animatronics are all it has. Right. It doesn't have any scenes. It doesn't really have any showpieces. It's it's trees and dinosaurs. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, there wouldn't really be a showpiece because you're not in a temple you're in a jungle there weren't there weren't structures to replicate it's telling a different story no right i i I get that i'm just saying that like in terms of comparing one or the other um indiana jones has more to see more to be in awe of you know and with with dinosaurs just oh here's another dinosaur or there's a tree and like and that's fine that's the ride well, you were giving – you know, we just did another episode and I was getting credit left and right for trees, trees, trees. Now all of a right. sudden you hate trees. <laughs> well, it's a different show. It's been, it's been weeks since we recorded that one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on. Um, so unless you want to give a point. So they are the largest – as I was saying, these are the largest audio animatronic figures to date. Now, this is where the synergy with the dinosaur movie comes into play. Um they used computer animation to develop these audio animatronics um, because, as you know, Dinosaur was one of the first – well, it was in the early days of uh, computer animation. Um, and so they used – those animators were able to bring that talent in to help create some of these animatronics. And Disney's committed to realism. Some of these audio animatronics are so massive in scale that they actually have to have their own foundations inside the facility. So similar to the Yeti in Expedition Everest, it has to be part of its own structure because it's so massive. That's the same thing with these dinosaurs. Um, Also, just kind of interesting is the largest smoke machine ever used in a theme park attraction is here. The smoke makes some things more difficult to see. And what that does is it forces the guests to concentrate harder on what they're seeing. And when they're in that concentration, you can surprise them very quickly. Um, and it also keeps their eyes on the story and off the technology that's around them. So I just think it's kind of a neat in, uh, imagineering trick. I will give point a point for the, the visual consistency of using – a model of the the dinosaurs themselves. Everything else seems to me just to be like, well, okay, it's either smoke and mirrors or that's just what you would do. The dinosaurs should be big because they're dinosaurs. But I think it's impressive that they did stick with the visual consistency because that's not always the case. I mean, with Disney more than others, but like see Chuck E. Cheese for more information on how that can operate, you know? Okay. So the 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 dinosaur movie connection was that they were going to use a different dinosaur mm-hmm. and then they changed it mm-hmm. to be the dinosaur that was in the movie yeah so originally the um it, it was supposed to be a tyrannosaurus rex was going to be the big sort of dinosaur villain of the movie but when a dinosaur was being developed uh it centers really around the story of a uh, Carnotaurus, I think, is yeah, Carnotaurus and an iguanodon. So those are the two. So those are the two um, dinosaurs that are featured most here. The genius of this is that they didn't know how dinosaur was going to do, and ultimately it didn't perform very well in the theaters. But there is no other than the title of the ride being called Dinosaur. There's no direct. Um, there's no direct referencing of the movie. It just happens to be a Carnotaurus. It just happens to be a Guanadon. You could take Dinosaur and take it off the, the movie, take it off the market. No one ever see it. The show still stands on its own. So it has the synergy if it needs it. But as that movie hasn't performed and that didn't become a franchise, it's still allowed to age gracefully. And it's still a really great dinosaur attraction in the dinosaur land of Animal Kingdom, so it still makes sense. It hasn't. It doesn't look awkward, right? And and if if that movie had been a success, and like you said, if it had led to a franchise, then a lot of people would still be riding that ride, right? Um, uh, Touche. It has a length. Um, the other thing that so I did say that it has more uh, animatronics. Obviously, I'm very hot for that. But um, the other thing that I would like to point out is that its minimum height is 40 inches versus 46 inches for indie. Um, so more guests are actually allowed to enjoy this show. That dinosaur is the one that jumps at you halfway through mm-hmm. where the snake is. That, that is a terrifying sight. But I screamed like a little girl at both. <laughs> They're equal. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, yeah, and I I feel like the another issue that I have with Dinosaur is, and I'm just putting this stuff out on the table, is the finale is very Jurassic Park, the ride ish to me. I I'm not clear which one opened first, but totally. Um, Jurassic Park the ride opened first. Right, right. It seems a little just like, oh, what did they do? Let's do that too. All right. So is that is that it for the ride experience, Jeremy? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about the general impact of the land around the the experience. And in 1994, the Jungle Cruise, which is adjacent to Indiana Jones, closed. It opened after a six-month refurbishment that included pushing back the dock to its original location and making it a two-story uh, uh, queue. So this allowed to make more room for the often bottlenecked Adventureland, which is the smallest land in the park. The river path was also diverted to make room for the queue, so they actually changed the path of the river to make room for the Indiana Jones queue. And then to fit with the Indiana Jones theme, the Jungle Cruise changed its theme for the third time in its history. So in keeping with the Indiana Jones theme, the Jungle Cruise then took on a, a theme of a jungle outpost set in 1935, and then uh, fitting Indiana Jones queue was also a major challenge. There was only 50 feet from the Jungle Cruise to the Swiss Family Treehouse. Never forget. So uh, Bill Evans was brought in to survey every tree in the jungle. The landscape reflected 35 years of growth, and many of the plants were original. So 500 trees were tagged and either relocated or saved. Some of the enormous bamboo had to be removed. And then starting in October 1994, the queue for this ride opened to the public as an attraction in its own right. And that was six months before the ride actually opened. So the queue was so impressive, they opened it up. So the entire Adventureland changed the footprint, the face. Another ride was impacted and totally changed to meet the theme of this new ride. So as far as land impact and its significance in it, I mean, in the word adventures in the title, just saying. So I think it has a pretty big impact on Adventureland. It wasn't originally, though, was it? It wasn't originally called Indiana Jones Adventure. I, from day one, it's Indiana Jones Adventure and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. Temple of the Crystal Forbidden Skull. Eye. It was, they added that. I mean, the year, the year it opened was the year of adventure from Disneyland. It, it's the Indiana Jones Adventure. I believe. The, I thought they renamed it. Maybe I'm wrong. I think if I remember correctly, because I, I remember just obsessing over this ride when it was being built. Um and again, this is just going off of my memory, which is not the best. But I do remember it initially being called Temple of the, of the Forbidden Eye, like when it was when they were just barely starting to talk about it. But then, before it opened, they did add Indiana Jones Adventure for clarity. But they, it's like it's like putting Snow White in the Snow White ride. Like I get why they did it, but it. It's not a point against it. No, I was just bringing up. No, the point is that it has a very dramatic impact on this land. Rather than being kind of tucked away in the back, I don't really know where this ride is. I have to follow signs to find this Dino Institute. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't really have an impact. Right. I think impact on the the land, I think that that's 100% Indies to lose. Um, Indies to lose. Give me a freaking point. Yeah. No, I know. Get out of here with your points to lose. No, I mean that isn't that how sports people talk about things that people are winning, <laughs> right? I'm trying to just be a dude here, I'm trying to be a bro. Any right. lose, go ahead. Balls in your. So court. are we getting a point for that? Yeah, totally. I mean, point for Indy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. May the force be with you. I actually think that I have a very unpopular opinion that Fast Pass isn't the best idea for Disneyland and I'm, I'm not going to try to argue that or win that but it's another episode the Indian right the, <laughs> I'm going to lose it um, the, but the Indiana Jones queue suffers I think a lot from the addition of Fast Pass because people just blow past all the all the interesting stuff and I remember being there you know opening day the, the wait was three hours long and yeah, but it took a while for us to get to the actual queue of Indy. But once we were in there, it was it was just interesting. I agree. So, uh, Jeremy, go ahead. <laughs> Dino Dinosaur was built with the park, so it didn't have an mm-hmm. it didn't have this external impact on its land. It's um, you know as I described earlier, it is uh, 
it keeps in with the theme of the land, which is dino land where you have excavations going on. You're celebrating dinosaurs. Um, and part of those excavations, you have this dino institute, um, which is created to continue uncovering the mysteries of the past. But apart from that, I mean, it didn't, it didn't change the land because it, it, was, it was part of the land's DNA from the beginning. Right. And I think, so. to be fair, the land doesn't do itself or dinosaur any favors in the way that it's just sort of embarrassingly minimal, I think, is the, the term to use. Um, yeah, they've really got to do something with, uh, with Hester yeah. and Chester and Hester's. It's, it's a totally counter to everything Walt Disney stood for and wanted to do. It's a carnival in a, in a parking lot. And, and rumors are that they're going to – they were talking about a Zootopia area, which would kind of make sense, not in Dinoland necessarily. But they were actually talking about an Indiana Jones attraction in Dinoland USA, which is just so that weird. That doesn't make – he didn't – They were the, – the talk is that they would retheme – Di- dinosaur to be Indiana because Jones and make Dinoland an adventure land, like an adventure area, and it would get its it would get its original skin. You just back. gave me a point. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's such a better ride that they're going to change dinosaur. I gotta Indiana agree Jones. with that. I would be very sad about that. I actually, I de- I genuinely do enjoy yeah. dinosaur. I think dinosaurs a scarier ride, and I like to be thrilled. I I agree that it's scarier, and you mentioned that it's open for more people, but I don't think a lot of 40-inch tall people would go on the ride, having a couple of them at my house. Uh, So Indiana Jones made such a dramatic impact on technology. It made an impact on the the land. It's such an immersive story, which you may or may not care about, but there's so much detail into everything that happens in it. It was innovative, first of its kind, and then Dinosaur, while yes, is a good ride, and and it fits the land, it's just a copy, and it's not a better copy. Right. It's not a better version of it, like we talked about with the castles. It's Indiana Jones is just a superior experience still today. Longer wait times, and it still has an impact. Whereas Dinosaur's kind of forgotten. It's kind of off in the corner, and you know if you don't know that it's there, you have to seek it out. And I just don't think it has the same cultural impact. It doesn't have the same experience enhancement. It, it's just I don't know. That's where I'm at with this. Indiana Jones is better. I think dinosaur. I think dinosaur is kind of an example of what we've been talking about a little bit with the differences between how Disney World and Disneyland works. Dinosaur, if they put more into it, I think would have been anyone. By the way, unless we have any other points, but um, <laughs> I think that dinosaur. Is not like destined to be a bad ride. They just didn't. They, they didn't. They didn't need it to work. You know, like like they can waste the space because they have so much space. So they can make a ride that's just a pretty good, scary ride, rather than having this fully immersive environment that it has an impact on other attractions. Like Indiana Jones needs to work at the level that it does because it's in the park that it's in. Whereas Dinosaur, it can just kind of sit there and still be kind of good because you, you're going to ride it. Because you don't need it because there's too much space. You're going to go on it because that's all there is to it. Right. Yeah. I mean I agree. There's definitely – when you you know, you know talk about all the detail in the queue and all that, of course you need it if you have a three-hour wait. You really have to have a good queue. Um, and I agree. So there is a, there is much more detail in it. But I have to tell you – if they were sitting side by side, and I just had to fl- and I got to decide which one do I want to go on, I would pick Dinosaur every time. Really? Yeah. I just don't think hmm. that there's that much thrill in Indy. Okay, so so then that's what you're looking for from this kind of ride. You're looking for something to be. I like to be flat scared, out. and that ride, scared. Okay, no matter how okay. many times I've ridden it, shocks me, scares me. When that when the Carnotaurus comes out and they do the picture, every time it throws me back in my seat, terrified. Indy, I'm kind of like, all right, and, and maybe maybe he's gonna maybe right. he's swinging in front of that ball. It'll work. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't know. I just feel like, um, and I hear what you're saying, and I I kind of knew going in that <laughs> he was gonna win for all the, <laughs> you know, for all the reasons. You, but you, if I had to pick, you made a value. I would value definitely, effort. definitely pick dinosaur every time. Well, that, so I, I, that, wait, the, here's what I'll I'll say. Yeah, go for it. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Sorry, is that the so, you know, it, to, to the point about being scary, I think it might detract because of the family aspect. So I, I probably agree with you that if it were me as an adult and I don't have kids with me, mm. 
I would probably pick dinosaur for the thrill aspect. But I, again, living with the idea of Disney World as a family vacation, I don't think the whole family goes on that ride. At least not with young children. I don't. I don't think that's a family attraction. Whereas India is much more of a. It fits the intent of Disney resorts better. So long as they're forty six inches tall, which many <laughs> little. It's it's kind of like it, it. You you just cut yourself off because. Okay, so maybe the theming of dinosaur doesn't work because it's too scary. But at least they physically could get on it. But like it might be, Indy might be a family friendly ride, but the fam all the whole family can't get on. Well, yeah, but when they're at least up until a certain age, and and um, forty six inches is quite tall. But when for a child, I mean, you're looking seven, eight years old at that point, aren't you? It's a fair point, but when they're when they are tall enough, it, it it's less of an argument, I think. Right, but then you can't say that it's right. No, I'm I'm not the one saying say that. that. I'm just I'm just it doesn't work. To, it has to work both ways, right? Like you can't say it's a great family ride, and then but. It's too scary for family, so it doesn't work as family ride, but they're not allowed to go on it. So right. it has to work both ways. All right. So have we come to a verdict? Yes. I think so. I believe Indiana Jones, not stunt spectacular, the ride spectacular, Temple of the For- Forbidden Eye is the supreme EC- enhanced motion vehicle EM- EMV ride. EMV. Enhanced motion vehicle. Well, that I agree. I think that was a very productive discussion. And like I said, <laughs> just majority of our audience are probably Disneyland fans, and we would have lost them <laughs> anyway. So, but I think we all agree. And uh, please, thank you for joining us today. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. Glad to know Indiana Jones is still supreme. And feel free to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, iTunes. Rate us, rate and review, subscribe, all the things, and mm-hmm. check out the other. Uh, the other shows on the Ears Up Podcast Network, Ears Up Podcast, Ears Up In-Depth with Jason and Jeremy. I think maybe Sabres and Superpowers is coming back. That's a Star Wars uh, Marvel combo podcast. And then, of course, the Supreme Resort. So let's start a conversation on Facebook and Twitter and the Insta. I don't know if we're on the Insta. Yeah, we have, uh, we're, on, uh, we're at, at Supreme Resort, not at the Supreme Resort, at Supreme Resort. At Supreme Resort. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you again, Dan and Jeremy. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. It was a good time. Thank you for your time. All right, thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, everybody. Bye.